Ladies and gentlemen, it is showtime. Please welcome the team of the Fulhamish Podcast. It's the Fulhamish Podcast, your independent voice of Fulham FC. My name is Sammy James. And on today's podcast, we're going to be looking back at Wednesday's 3-2 win over Luton Town at Craven Cottage. A little bit more nervy than it needed to be, but three points nonetheless and a great way to bounce back from the defeat against Stoke on Saturday. Uh, And I'm joined down the line for today's podcast. It's been a bit of a rigmarole, uh, finding time to actually record something today. But alas, here we are. Jack Collins, how you doing? Hello, mate. Not too bad, thank you. How are you? Yeah, I'm good, thank you. Um, podcast recording and looking after a 11-week-old puppy don't necessarily go hand in hand. So if you hear some yeah. yapping in the background all that's of a me. sudden... Yeah, that's Jack. And also it could be Little Taffy, but most likely uh, to be Jack. How you doing? How you doing, mate? Yeah, I'm not too bad, mate. I'm delighted with three points, even if they weren't necessarily the easiest flowing three points we're going to get this season. Well, um, as always, uh, let's kick off with a, th- with a few three-word reviews. Uh, what are they saying, Jack? So, let's tick off Staff's White earlier today. Piece of cake, including the picture of the fella having a slice of cake in the Johnny Haynes end, which I really, really enjoyed earlier on. Yeah, I'm looking, Kyle... at that. I'm looking at that picture right now. It's a, is that a Victoria sponge? Yeah, I think it is. It's just an incredible, incredible thing to have happened at a football game but also only at Fulham so I'm, I'm pretty happy with it wooden seats Victoria sponge and a, and a tea alongside it as well and it's, a knife um, I, I'm really intrigued how he got the knife in well, I think it's only a plastic one to be fair oh, okay maybe okay then I think uh, the best one of the lot Carl Beery and I think this will probably be the name of the podcast trick the hatters yeah lovely was excellent um, and there was there were quite a lot in that kind of vein Carlino's Mitro's hatters trick um, Dan Winter with making comfortable uncomfortable I thought it was pretty rogue um, Farrell Monk our very own live from Arizona back for good which was uh, which was clever and Jake Wilgos Rodax moment captured indeed well that's probably the first question I'll ask you Jack was we went back to 4-3-3 but more interestingly Scott made two changes yeah. uh, Adoy came into the side which wasn't particularly revolutionary but Rodak in for bets we've been talking about it all season will it happen won't it happen I kind of thought the moment had passed really for Rodak's inclusion in the team to happen I thought right Scott's going to stick to his guns here and, and go with bets for the entire season but obviously Saturday against Stoke was the final straw for Scott and, and he and went with Marek were you, were you surprised yeah, I was. I wasn't expecting it. I didn't think that Scott was going to make that decision, especially now. I mean, I know that Betts gave away the penalty uh, against Stoke, but I didn't think he was completely at fault for, for either goal. I think he went down very, very early uh, in the first one. But ultimately, it, I think it's a decision that, you know, at least puts the pressure on. And, and I know that people say switching your goalkeeper starts to unsettle the team and all those things. But Betts needs to know that his performances need to be up to standard or he's going to get dropped. And if you have that kind of complacency that you're like, oh, I'll never get dropped no matter what happens, then performances can fall. And we have seen that. And, and while Bettinelli did make a few very, very good saves at the weekend, and I think he needs to be commended for those because we, we often give him stick and we don't often give him enough credit for the saves he does make. Um, but he, he did you know to a point you know was 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 you know it's in some part to blame for both goals and I think when you when you look at it like that then it's no no real 
shock, I suppose, that Marek Rodek got called up. It was very good in that Southampton game in the League Cup, made a few really, really good stops. Um, and I thought he did okay last night, if I'm being perfectly honest. I didn't think either goal was his fault. I thought his distribution was pretty strong on the whole. And, you know, he, he's also kind of happy to release the pressure valve, which I don't know if that's going against what Scott wants. So that's the, the interesting thing. Is he then disobeying orders in the way that maybe Marcus Bentley does and tries to play out from the back by going long? I don't know, but it, it did kind of work and it did give us an outlet and it did give us some sort of release of the pressure when it was a little bit unnecessary. Uh, and I think that, you know, overall he did all right. Yeah, I, I thought he was okay without being exceptional as well. I think you're correct that neither goal was was really his fault and there are a couple of smart saves. I remember one at the beginning of the second half which kind of was at 1-0 so if they got to 1-1 that really would have been kind of catastrophic at the time. So yeah, I thought it was was an okay debut for from Marek. Do you see this being a one-off or do you think now Marek keeps his place for Borough on Saturday? I don't know if you can make those kind of decisions as a one-off would be my first kind of thought on it. It's it's one of those ones when you do make the switch, I think you've got to stick with your guns for at least a little while unless something happens in training that you know convinces Scott that actually Bettinelli is the much better goalkeeper and he needs to start and it was a, the kick up the arse that he needed in some ways. I think he will stick with Rodak until something changes the other way and you know, I like Betts. I feel like he's a good geezer. I don't think he's that good a goalkeeper. And I don't think there's that much between them, if I'm being perfectly honest, especially if you look at the, you know, the statistics that, that Rodak had at Rotherham, especially when he's a bit more under the cosh. Uh, and it'll be interesting to see how he develops. I think he will keep his place and it's something to keep an eye on. Yeah, I just wondered if there may be a case for rotation. It has happened before with goalkeeper rotation. It's it's quite rare, but when you do have two goalkeepers of pretty equal standing, and that's quite uncommon, it could be something. But you tend to see it more at bigger clubs when they're fighting on multiple fronts rather yeah. than necessarily in the league. The one that springs to mind is obviously Marc-Andre Testegen when he joined Barcelona and the same time that Claudio Bravo was still there. Uh, and they rotated and Bravo played in the league and Testegen played in the Champions League and all their cup competitions. And that was just the kind of the way it stayed until Bravo left the summer after. And I was talking to Testegen about it to, to blow smoke up my own ass a little yeah, bit. Yeah, wow. And he, um, <laughs> he said it was the most difficult thing he's ever had to do as a goalkeeper. Uh, in that he wasn't playing every single week. He wasn't, you know, in the team as an automatic starter. And and I suppose that that's something to bear in mind. If, if keepers find that difficult, then then that's got to be, you know, a concern as a rotation. But equally, he said it did push him on, you know, to try and be the best he could in every single game so that when it came to the next season, he was like, I want to be the number one next year and I want to make a statement that this is my spot. So... You know, it, there are two sides to that coin and, and two edges to the sword in, in many regards. But it's very much something that I'm, I'm interested to see develop. Um, back onto the game then. We went with the 4-3-3. We kind of ditched the weird three at the back, Knockart and Cavalero playing wing-back formation that we saw against Stoke, which I kind of expected. I think that it was an experiment that clearly failed at the weekend yeah. and I didn't see us doing that, especially against a, a weaker side at home. Um, we looked much more balanced going forward. I thought that Kearney found lots of space and... The wingers were back in the game, and they were as they were so isolated at times on on Saturday because they were having to cover so much of the pitch. It just felt all around much more comfortable. 
I just was much more comfortable with Joe Bryan. I think it was the first thing that sprung to mind for me that, you know, when he's out there on the wing, he looks up, he looks like an attacking threat. And I think that's what he offers as a fullback. You know, defensively, he is a little bit suspect in parts. And, and that's not really a massive criticism. It's the way that Fulham are using him. It's the way that he plays. Uh, but he is kind of a weapon rather than a defensive edge. And in some ways, that was why he balanced quite nicely with Stephen Sessegnon because Stephen Sessegnon was a little bit more defensive. You know, intrinsically yeah. defensive. Um, but but the way that Joe Bryan then was able to get down the line to feed his winger to you know to play off those players was was something that I was really pleased with, and also the way that the wingers sort of got the ball and drove at their opponents, and, and that's something that we hadn't seen at Stoke because everybody was so sort of fraught and we were so. You know, we didn't really have any positions. If you look at George's position map for that game, everybody is all over the place in the front five and no one knows where they're playing. And and I think that creates more havoc than it's worth. You know, yes, if you're chasing the game in the last minute, confusing defenders is, is all well and good. But it's also confusing your own team. And if nobody knows where anyone's supposed to be playing and your wing backs aren't doing any tracking back, then you're going to be in trouble. And so it proved against Stoke. Well, yeah, I was going to come on to George's stats. So quite regularly, you might see on the Fulhamish socials, um, we post these stats and it's a bit of a new thing for this season. George Singer, who you regularly hear on the podcast, is very much um, our stat man and he's he's really, really into it. And I think... The cottage calculator. Yeah. And um, one of the things he said was that Luton do lots of passes from the back. Now, I wonder if maybe Fulham has not necessarily used George's analysis, but they played on that and that's kind of where the first goal comes from they lose possession cheaply I think it's Anthony Knockout that does some closing down and then they struggle to really reset and it gives Mitro that time and space to leather in our opener yeah absolutely and I think that there's something to be said there in that when you do press high up the pitch you've got to win the ball back really quickly and then or you drop off there there are two kind of things or you foul or you do a tactical foul and you sort of let everyone reset but if you are going to do that press you have to win the ball really quickly and it's what knockout did really well you know i, I thought knockout didn't have a particularly good game overall but he did really really well for the opener to, to you know kind of close that space uh, create the havoc and, and basically force them to give up possession and and then it's just really good work from Cav. And it is one of those where if you look at what they've done and what they've been like this season, especially at their, their big win at the weekend, um, they were really good at that. And, and Bristol sort of let them do what what they wanted in many regards. And we didn't. And from the off yesterday, um, we were very much in their faces, in their grills, and it, and it made life difficult for them. And, and yeah, the opener was kind of good reward for that. But that finish... From, from Mitrovic, it did just smack of someone playing at a level beneath them. As in, he just, he was one step ahead of the entire Luton defence. It, it was easy for yeah, him. Agree, and it, not easy in the sense, not easy in the sense that it was a tap-in, easy that he could just find that space and bang it in. There was a moment of the weekend um, in the in, in Inter Milan game where, um, Lukaku sort of brushed off a defender and, and sort of the defender sort of fell away and Lukaku almost looked shocked as to how easily he'd beaten the defender and it yeah. kind of reminded me of that in a way that the, the time Mitra had to get out of his feet and just he didn't even place it and, and this is the thing that, that my brother and I were talking about last night he doesn't place it he just hammers it and it's so hard that the keeper has absolutely no chance and it's not very far away from the keeper in some you know things it reminds me of remember that Ollie Norwood free kick against Derby at the cottage I wondered if you were going to say that yeah because it just it's just so hard that the keeper has absolutely no chance despite the fact that if you're looking at that you're like oh maybe the keeper should actually do better but 
I don't think he should. I don't think he should at all. I think it's just so fast and hit so well by Mitrovic that it's past the keeper before he can even look at it. Yeah, I mean, when it doesn't matter sometimes how well you place it. If you're going to hit it that hard from such short range and have such little protection from your defenders, yeah. um, there's, there's very little a goalkeeper could do. And I don't even think one of much better quality could have done that more when he has such little protection from his centre-back. So all credit to Mitro. Moving you on. Sh- you can't let Mitrovic shift the ball like that inside the box. Because yeah. if he gets a shot away, he's going to score. Mm. Uh, yeah. It's as simple as that. Um, one person it's not falling for at the moment, though, in front of goal, I think his performances maybe Stoke aside have been hugely impressive is Bobby Reed. He kind of had two big chances in the space of a minute, not long after Mitro's opener. And both of them are just a classic case of if that bounces a different way, if that bounces into a slightly nicer place for him um it was both of them were kind of low crosses across the box ricocheting off defenders and there's just something about bobby at the moment he must be cursing his luck he must be happy obviously that full on one and he's putting in good performances but yeah. my word it just won't fall for him will it no and i think that now you know not that we're getting on his back because i don't think the crowd are um, but i imagine he's on his own back about it it's one of those ones where he's like i can't believe i haven't scored yet and and it until something comes and, and you know remember Peter Crouch's uh, goal trout when when he joined Liverpool, and the first goal he scored was like a looping weird deflection that probably wasn't his goal, and after that it was off and he scored again I think twice in the same game, and it was one of those kind of games where I think once Bobby gets one and I think it's going to take something weird or lucky for him to score yeah and then once he gets one he'll be absolutely fine but at the moment I think it's a a, a monkey on his back maybe of self kind of imposed you know making in some regards but it it is one of those things where you look at it and you're like oh, it just won't everything seems to slide an inch too far or an inch too fast or you know that ridiculous one against Charlton where the keeper does really well yes Bobby Root should score yes he should go back across the keeper but also you have to give the credit to the Charlton keeper for getting across the goal so fast to block it and it's just one of those where I think that at the moment it, it is something that isn't working and once everybody relaxes and it does come then they will start to flow because he's getting in the right positions and and for me I think at the moment that's more important if he's getting into those positions and we continue to create chances the goals will come so it was Bobby Reed that set up the second it was just good play I don't think there's a huge amount you can analyze from it apart from the fact that Mitro seems to be getting more into the box and I think this season he was coming deep a lot and last night he didn't need to do that so much and and it's much better to see Mitro hanging around the six yard box like he did on on Wednesday and he was doing it a bit on Saturday as well maybe someone's just said to Mitro you know come deep maybe occasionally but it needs to be element of surprise otherwise we need you in that box because with the wingers that we've got and players like Bobby Reed, we're going to be firing balls in there and we want you on the end of it hopefully I don't think he needed much more confidence but last night he'll be he'll be on top of the world right now Absolutely. And especially because, you know, while the 3-2 was a a disappointing result in some ways because they scored right at the end or whatever and it makes it look closer than it was, Mitrovic has been the difference and that hat-trick was the difference and that will give him confidence on top of it all. You know, he he will be like, oh, I have been the game changer there. Without me, Fulham don't win that game. And and that's important. Um, So it's, it's one of those things. Look, where Bobby plays behind Mitrovic, especially in that midfield, 
He kind of does the the yards that Mitrovic would need to do in dropping in because he is able to link up play between Cavalera and Knockout. And we saw that for the second goal. You know, he feeds it into Cav, takes the return and slides it across. And then Mitrovic is there just to clean up. And I think that when... You know, Tom Kearney is a, is a wonderful footballer and a wonderful passer and a wonderful puller of strings. But what he doesn't do is, you know, leg it between the striker and the def- and, and the midfield to kind of make up make up ground and all those things. And and Bobby has kind of found a spot there. I don't think it will be his for every game, but especially at home against weaker sides. Uh, and I, you know, make no plums about that because Luton were really quite poor last night. Um, especially at home against weaker sides, Bobby links the play really well and he allows Mitrovic to sit in front of him. Look against bigger and better size and especially away from home you maybe need more of an engine that's going to sit back a little bit deeper and break forward rather than sort of just shuttle but against these kind of sides Bobby Reed fills that role really really well uh, and I thought he was he was excellent again last night um, let's come on to the defence then because it was a disappointing element of last night's game conceding the two goals Scott will be particularly annoyed about the set piece really it was yep. it was all it was all just rather simple wasn't it it was a okay ball into the box and he just managed and Potts I think who got the goal for Luton just found way too much space in there and what can we do about it really because I I think that Reem and Mawson is a good partnership but it is very very leaky you do a few weeks ago we were saying where does Hector get into this side but I don't think it's an absolute closed shop at the moment, the the defence, because it's still not as watertight as we'd like it to be. Albeit, actually, when you look at our defensive record against the rest of the league, it isn't actually actually that terrible. We haven't conceded tons and tons of goals. No, I agree. And I think that actually Reem and Mawson were both quite good last night. I thought Reem had an absolute shocker at the weekend, as did most people, I think. But last night they were both quite good, you know, opening nervy three minutes aside perhaps I thought Mawson was strong I thought Reem did well with the ball at feet and and especially when you have that much possession it's easy to look really good in a partnership like Reem and Mawson who are both quite good on the ball uh, who are both able to sort of get the ball forward and start their own attacks so yes we're a little bit leaky were either of the goals their fault probably not um it's, it's just one of those things where I think we're still a little bit weak defensively in the fullback positions I'm not sure bringing Harrison Reed off was the right move I, you know I, I thought obviously Kevin came on and it's nice to see K-Mac it's always nice to see K-Mac but at the same time I don't necessarily think we concede that third goal with Harrison Reed on the pitch because I think he covers the ground that allows the fullbacks to get forward and you know Joe Bryan gets spun uh, for that for the last goal and ultimately if you have Reed in there you can afford to push your fullbacks a little bit further forward because he just cleans up in the middle there uh, whereas with Kevin who wasn't able to quite backtrack the ground so much he, he wasn't able to do the same so yes there are weaknesses in the Reem Mawson partnership I don't think it's criminal at this point I don't think that either of them are to blame and I don't kind of know where you go with those two and, and your questions are pertinent one where does Scott improve Obviously, we've got to be more commanding in our own set in our own box at set pieces. We need to be, you know, more active in trying to get first to that ball. Um, it sounds really obvious to say, but it's true. You know, if Potts doesn't win that header, he doesn't score. Uh, and and yes, he makes a good run off Joe Bryan, but really, you know, your first man has to be standing in that kind of area because obviously the ball's going to come there. Uh, and so I think it's that it's just defensive kind of hard work and and kind of rigmarole in some ways at. 
you know in discipline in in, in training and, and learning how to get rid of those set pieces it's not going to be fun standing there for an hour with Anthony Knockhart just whipping balls in and just heading them away but it's probably what needs to be done let's let's quickly come on to Harrison Reed. he is a Rolls Royce in the middle of that midfield and when the lineup came out, um, we posted it on Fulhamish and kind of asked people their thoughts. And there were a few people in there saying, wow, that's a lot of responsibility on the shoulders of Harrison Reed playing in a midfield three effectively with Tom Kearney and Decker Dover Reed, who aren't going to do an awful lot of tracking back. Now, Tom actually did do uh, a fair share last yeah, night. And, and I think that's why maybe he wasn't involved in a lot of the play like, like Reed was. Sorry. Well, like the other read. God, it's confusing. Um, but you I just call th- him Bobby, mate. Make life easier. Oh, Bobby and Harrison, fine. Um, but Harrison Reed was was fantastic in the middle of the park, and we we've been discussing whether it's Arta, whether it's Harrison Reed. I think if you need one person in there to do the job, Harrison Reed's the man right now. He's 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 fantastic in the middle of the park, and it reminiscent of. Came back from the season we went up, and that, that's pretty high praise, I think. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think what he does bring is a load of energy, and, and Harry Arter still, I don't think, is sure whether he's a six or an eight, and I don't think we are either, and, and that makes life more complicated. But when you have two attacking players, and yes, Tom Kenny played a bit more like in the eight role, but like we did yesterday, you need a six that's going to just sit there and be like, I just clean up. Thank you very much. I make tackles. And Harrison Reed's a real little terrier. He he does just sit there and, and make challenges and he screens so, so well. He's quite quick. He's strong in the tackle. And, and for a small fella, you know, coming from myself, it's high praise. Um, he, he does a lot, a lot of work in there. And it's not an easy thing to do, especially when it's, you know, a quite a physical game when Luton are trying to play the ball you know, over those kind of diagonals, it's always going to be a little bit hard to, to get in there. But he was absolutely brilliant. And I thought probably for me, you know, Mitrovic aside, who was the obvious man of the match, probably Harrison Reid. Um, and just the final point from the game, Mitrovic has now got 11 goals in 13. Um, his first ever hat-trick according to, or his first ever club hat-trick. Uh, in English to- football, I believe. No, I believe in club football. From what mm. I saw, on, that was what they were saying on Quest last night. That's what Colin Murray said. But he has scored a hat-trick for Serbia, apparently. Don't quote me on that, but I'm pretty sure that's what I heard. Um, but Daryl Brugnink asks the question, will Mitrovic break the championship record for goals scored in a season? I believe Glenn Murray holds the record with 30. Well, we've played 13 games um, that's less than a third of the season he's already on 11 I mean he's put himself in the shop window as they say yeah he's very much in the mix I think is the you know the the, the phrase I would use he's he's brilliant at this level and I think maybe the only thing that could stop him breaking that level that record and, and whisper it quietly is a big move in January and and obviously None of us want that to happen. And I, I really don't think it will, if, if I'm being perfectly honest. I believe he's going to stay at Fulham for this entire season. But I think he's in with a massive, massive shout of equaling, if not breaking that record, because at the moment he's scoring goals for fun. And like you say, that first goal yesterday was just so easy for him. And this level does seem a little bit below him. I remember Charlie Austin must have run that record close, I think, in, in a couple of seasons. And, and there have been some brilliant goal scorers. I know Daryl Murphy actually... I think nailed 28 one season at Forest, despite them not being in the playoff hunt even. Um, So there are 
precedence that this could be broken. I think if Mitrovic stays fit, stays healthy, stays at Fulham and we continue to create chances in the way that we have been, there's no reason he can't break that record. Yeah, precisely. Well, it was a fantastic performance from Mitro last night. Rightly so, uh, the man of the match, both on the official website and on our player ratings as well. Uh, that final goal from Kazenga Lualua just made it a little bit tense at the end, but it was almost so late that fortunately it wasn't able, yeah, it wasn't to, really do able to do anything. real, real damage. Would you like an interesting anecdote between myself and Kazenga Lualua? Go on, mate. I once showed him a house in Horsham. <laughs> please carry on well I used to work as a letting agent uh, in Horsham when I was like 18 and um, he was playing for Brighton at the time and obviously fancied moving to the wonderful town of Horsham and uh, I showed him a three bed townhouse um, I think it was a little bit below his standards though he uh, he didn't look very interested the whole time and uh, he didn't rent it so but there's a little there's a little anecdote between me and Kazenga yeah well that is good I have actually enjoyed that so fair play to you <laughs> I don't know why I thought it was interesting to bring up. I think I liked it. I liked probably, it a lot. I probably should have talked about Joe La- Joe Bryan's lapse in defensive concentration when discussing that goal, but I thought everyone would much prefer my anecdote about a three-bed uh, townhouse. Right. Yeah. Um, well, that's our analysis done for the Luton game. It leaves us seventh in the table. I think we would have been sixth had it not been for that last-minute goal. Yeah, um, and for Bristol City's last-minute equ- uh, winner or equaliser. Yeah. You know, Josh Brownhill scored. No, it was a winner because they were playing with 10 men yeah uh, and they managed to to nab a winner in, in deep in injury time eight minutes into injury time i believe and that was what knocked us out of the top six and uh, as the as uh, lee johnson said was it lee johnson their manager yes uh it was better than sex if you've seen the clip that's been going around social media this morning have you seen this jack i have not um so the interviewer uh, I think for the Bristol City official channel goes to Lee Johnson right at the, at the end of the interview. They're talking about the winner and he goes, better than sex. Uh, and Lee Johnson just raises an eyebrow uh, in a very seductive way. It's all a little bit weird, to be honest. But That is um, a bit. But they are a bit weird over in Bristol, aren't they? Oh, wow. Okay. Uh, I can't wait for the flurry of emails coming from West Country Fulhamish listeners. But... No, but like Joe Bryan's a bit weird, even though he's my favourite player. Yeah, maybe. Maybe it's just I'm something, not, in, maybe not, it's something it's just, in the water at Ashton Gate. I think, yeah, no, I meant mean more just at Bristol City. Everyone seems to be a bit quirky and a bit kooky. Oh, yeah. Well, I guess with all the gifts and stuff uh, yeah. from, from yesteryear. Yeah, no, maybe you're right there. Maybe you've, um, you've saved yourself anyway from the wrath Thanks, of mate. the West Country. Right, we'll take a little bit of a break and we'll look ahead to this Saturday's game against Middlesbrough. Fulhamish has partnered with theterracestore.com who have a great range of official Fulham merchandise with a retro twist. Some amazing products with throwbacks to some of the iconic Fulham kits of yesteryear. Right now, Fulhamish listeners can get 10% off. Just use the code Fulhamish when you check check out uh, they've got some great presents particularly with christmas around the corner so make sure you use the code fulhamish for 10 percent off that's at the terrace store.com if you enjoy fulhamish and listen to us on apple podcasts please consider giving us a positive rating and review it really helps us to reach new fulham fans across the world if you don't use apple but want to give us a review head to the fulhamish facebook page and give us a rating there instead thank you Ale. 
Hello and welcome back to the Fulhamish podcast. Sammy James here and I'm joined by Jack Collins. Hello. So um, just before we finish the podcast, Jack, um, a little bit of a look at Borough on Saturday. And well, they're in dire straits at the moment, aren't they, Middlesbrough? Only two yeah, wins from 13 all season. They drew nil-nil at Huddersfield last night. Um, and you know, this is still a Middlesbrough team with some pretty good players. But yeah, Jonathan Woodgate's um, in a similar position to Scott Parker, one of his first kind of jobs in management at a club where he's played a lot of games um, over his career. And it's just really not working out at the Riverside this season no, for him. It's really not. And uh, when you look at that squad, it is actually quite difficult to work out why. Um, they They just seem to have quite a lot of decent footballers who just aren't working together. And, and, and sometimes it doesn't work like that. Look look at Stoke. Yeah. But we said we were going to beat Stoke, and then we didn't. So it is one of those. There's, there's a lot of attacking players in this squad, if you look at it. And, you know, Britta Sombolonga is obviously the headline name linked with Fulham in the summer. But Ashley Fletcher, Rudy Gestead, you know, there's a lot of players here that can, can do a job up front. And, and ultimately, you just look at this and be like, how are they not scoring goals? But they're not. I mean, Britta Sombolonga started on the bench last night. I think Middlesbrough fans were, were pretty incensed to see that. But it does just strike of Jonathan Woodgate being a, a little bit a little bit desperate because it's it's just turning into a little bit of a, a horror show for them. And I remember at the beginning of the season, we didn't think that they were going to be top two material. We thought they could be a bit of a dark horse that would 100% be troubling the top seven and top eight, a bit like Stoke maybe. Yeah, no, absolutely. And it does go to show that, you know, a great squad doesn't take you all the way in this division. And it is about game management. It is about tactics. It is about, you know, getting the best out of those players. And, you know, we've been quick to criticise, not necessarily us, but in general, I think everyone's been quick to criticise Scott Parker um, when he's got it wrong. And, and he has got it wrong numerous times. But as yesterday showed, he saw that it didn't go right against Stoke of the weekend. He, he changed that completely. He was like, right, that that's out the window. I'm not playing that formation again. And we weren't perfect last night, but we got the job done. And, and ultimately, that's a sign that of a manager that's learning. And, and Woodgate doesn't seem to have that kind of same learning that's going on at Middlesbrough. He's you know still struggling. It hasn't been pretty. And, and ultimately, I think I suppose it's a kind of warning shot of what could have been and what still might be. I'm, I'm not saying that Parker is you know God's gift to Fulham and, and must must be respected at all costs, but. It does show you what, you know, the depths of this are. You know, if Fulham were 17th and right now and failing to score goals with a squad that, you know, isn't on paper that much better than this Middlesbrough squad. It is a better squad, but not by much. Um, you know, when, when people will be furious, and I think it's, it's one of those things where you can look and be like, actually, this could be a whole lot worse. Indeed. Well... I mean, they've only won two games this season, as I said. Uh, one of those was a win, a 1-0 win over Reading at home and the other was a 1-0 win over Wigan. Um, it's just, again, similar to the Stoke match, I'm nervous because yeah. it's, it's a similar, it's almost a bit of a case of deja vu. This is a good team in a bad position who can hurt you on their day and hasn't won in ages. It's It's all just got the recipe for a, a disaster sadly yeah I mean absolutely and you know but who can forget we've had some good times at the middle uh, at the riverside over the last couple of years uh, and and also I think something to to bear in mind is how good the back four are for middle yes they might be getting on a bit but you know 
George Friend there, Ayala, Dale Fry, who was, you know, being touted as the next big thing for England at, at times. Dyke Steele, who was at Brentford and, and is a good player. Paddy McNair's there. There are a lot of players here who are, you know, strong, strong footballers and, and able to do things. And behind them all, you know, Darren Randolph, you shall not pass in goal. So there, there are a lot of, you know, this back four is going to be hard to break down. And like you say, their two wins have come as, as one nil wins. They don't concede that many either, Middlesbrough. They just haven't been scoring, which means that we are going to have to be on form if we're going to break them down. So really, probably the key for Fulham in this game is try and get that early goal. Don't fall behind like we did against Stoke, because I don't think that Fulham are the best at trying. We still haven't come from behind to claim a victory so far this season, unless I'm mistaken. No. So we just need to try and get our noses um in front and well if it happens to be a 90th minute penalty like the last time we're at the riverside so be it because um glorious memories that was probably i wasn't at the game but i remember watching the game and i just remember that was one of my favorite moments of the promotion season it really felt like a unfulfilling moment didn't it it didn't feel like a very fulhamish result did it they were really flying high at the time we weathered a massive storm and then just got a bit of a dodgy penalty in the 90th minute and ollie norwood stuck it away it's just glorious is that famous picture of Don Betts crawling on the pitch <laughs> sliding down the turnstile um, I mean it's so tight at the championship at the moment there's literally one point between ourselves and third um, so it's an opportune time for Fulham to try and make a little bit of a break for it because you'd say after this Middlesbrough game that the whole game is quite a kind fixture the Birmingham game isn't the most horrible fixture either. They've been okay this season, kind of Jekyll and Hyde, either they win it or they lose it. So there is an opportunity here for Fulham to go on a bit of run, but we've been saying this now for a few weeks, really, haven't we? Absolutely. And every time we say it, it seems to, you know, fall flat, we'll get a great result and then match it with a with a poor one. So it is one of those things where Fulham needs to put together a run of wins and not even, you know, an unbeaten run. And Drew actually said this on full, uh, on full time last night. He was like, you know, all promotion winning teams via the playoffs go on unbeaten runs, automatic teams go on winning runs. And I think that's crucial. We need to get a couple of wins together under our belt, you know, knock a couple of three points in a row, you know, get a nine point run going. Uh, and from there you start to kick on and, and no one's made a break for it. And, and I was talking about this on Love Sport yesterday, but this this division, if we're two points better off, I think at this point in the season than we were under Ikanovic in the season that we won promotion. I, that doesn't include last night's result. I don't know what the equivalent fixture was for Ikanovic. But because the league is so much tighter this time, it feels like we're much closer to the summit. Whereas... Wolves had already broken away by this point in, in the academic season and, and Cardiff was starting to think about it. There, you know, there was a there was a couple of teams in that mix still, but we were quite a long way behind them. Uh, you know, we were we were only ninth or whatever, you know, it was. But at the same time, it felt like the automatics were miles away, whereas this time it doesn't feel like the automatics are miles away. And, and this league doesn't have at the moment a breakout team, a team that has streaked away. And, and really kind of made it their own. And I think that, you know, you look at West Brom stumbling against Barnsley, you look at Leeds, you know, who haven't been consistent at all. And you think, who are that team going to be that really does take the league by the scruff of the neck? Or maybe there won't be one. But if we can get ourselves on a run of, of, one, a run of wins and a, a run of form, then there's no reason that we can't go, right, hang on, lads, we're going up there and we're going to set the pace. And if we do that, I think it would really, really benefit us. 
Well, yeah, I mean, I'm looking in, at the league. There is no team in the entire league that hasn't lost a game in their last five. Yeah. So it's so It's the maddest open. league in the world. It is the maddest league in the world, and that's why we love it. But hopefully uh, we can start to uh, assault our position uh, on Saturday and in the games uh, thereon. Um, Jack, that's uh, probably all we've got time for on today's uh, little session of Fulhamish. Um, Absolutely, mate. Which we've managed to cobble together by, uh, by the skin of our teeth. By hook or by crook, I think is the phrase. Um, what would you like to name the podcast? Uh, I'm going with Carl Beery's Trick the Hatters. I think it's absolutely perfect. Well, thank you very much, Carl. Good name for the podcast today. Uh, And Fulhamish will return on Monday. Jack is hosting. He'll be looking back at Saturday's Middlesbrough match uh, and giving all the reaction to that. So have a good weekend. Hopefully you can watch the football and Fulham can get us three points. Jack Collins, thank you very much. Thank you, Sammy. And we'll see you later. You whites. You whites.